you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. If you get to 2 Corinthians or Revelation, you've gone too far. Turn back, turn back. <laughs> 1 Corinthians. And uh, toward the end of the book, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I will read verse 50 to 58. It's a very well-known passage of Scripture. Um, Jonathan called me during the week, obviously, with the imminent arrival of uh, their daughter. Um, this passage I'm actually preaching this evening at uh, Central Baptist Church. Um, please, guys, I'd love some feedback after the service. <laughs> uh, you can come and correct all my theology <laughs> so that when I get back home, I can serve the folk in Pretoria as well. I trust you found 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read from verse 50 through to verse 58. I actually don't know what your practice is. Um, very often I'll ask if people who are able, uh, please do stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, please do stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at the 50th verse. Hear the word of God. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Friends, let's just quiet our hearts for a moment as we now come to the teaching of God's word. Father God, in your word we read that all men are like grass and their glories are like the Flowers of the field, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Lord, it's on your word that we this morning would stand, faithful and true and without error. Would you teach us? <laughs> would you edify us? Would you grow us? 
Lord God, would you be so gracious as those who have not yet seen the person of Jesus Christ in your word, would you open their eyes that they might see him and believe? Yours is the power to do so. And so we ask, Father, by your spirit, would you renew our minds and stir our hearts' affections and transform our lives to your own praise and glory. Amen. Death stings. Death stings. It really does. Have you felt it before? The sting of death, I mean. I'm sure you have. A family member, a close friend, a work colleague, someone whom you go to school with. Death comes to each and every one of us. It is inevitable. And it really does sting. When I was six years old, my favorite thing in the world was to ride on my father's bike. He had a vintage 250 Suzuki, and uh, it had lots and lots of shiny chrome, and he had an oversized silver helmet with two blue stripes on it that he would put on my head, and uh, he would take two black leather belts and strap them together, and then strap me to him Um, He would put these oversized riding leather gloves on me and I would tuck my arms around his belly and hold on for dear life as we would go on a breakfast run, hit the open roads. One day, while we were riding, he saw a swarm of bees cross the road. He had no choice. He went through the swarm, and one of the bees got into my glove and climbed up through the glove, wiggled its way up through the glove, and stung me on my wrist. Turns out, I'm allergic to bees. So it wasn't long until my wrist started to swell, my chest started to tighten, and I needed to be rushed to hospital. Bees sting. (laughs) It is painful. It is sore. It hurts. But bees don't sting like death stings. When I was six, same year, my grandfather died. I used to call him Papa. I loved him so much. I would sit on his lap on a tan lazy boy and he would read Mr. Pink Whistle to me <laughs> and the faraway tree and the wishing chair. He would tell me stories from time to time about his adventures in World War II. When he died, the sting of death didn't stop hurting after a day, after a week, After a month, 
the sting of death affected me for years to come. Even as I was preparing the sermon, I remembered him with a lump in my throat. His death still stings a bit. It still hurts a bit. It's still a little painful. Today, we are going to talk about death, and I realize that's a topic that most of us try and avoid, like the plague, and we're going to talk about death's sting, and that might cut close to the bone for some of us that are here. But my intention isn't that you would leave hurting, broken, with old or new wounds ripped open. Because the passage that we are considering, 1 Corinthians chapter 50 from uh, chapter 15 from verse 50 to verse 58 is actually about transformation, about triumph and about testimony. So for those of you who take notes, that will be our outline. It will be transformation, triumph and testimony. So let's begin by considering first transformation. We'll look particularly at verse 50 through to verse 53, transformation. Let me give you the big idea of what's going on in these four verses. Friends, our feeble frames aren't fit for heaven, but in Christ, those of us who are living And those who are raised will be changed. That's what we're going to look at in the next four verses. Let's read verse 53 to verse 53 again and get the text in our near sight. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I am telling you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised for this perishable body, and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable must put on immortality. So first, our our feeble frames aren't fit for heaven. It says, brothers, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 50 to verse 58 is written to brothers. It's written to believers. It's written to people just like us, the church of God. It says flesh and blood And it talks about the perishable. This is talking about our present, temporal, mortal, feeble-framed bodies. This body with its corruptible attributes, its sinful inclinations, it must be shed and replaced with something else. It talks about the kingdom of God and the imperishable. This is talking about Jesus' eschatological rule and reign, a forever future kingdom. 
We need bodies that are fit for eternity with Jesus. Turns out, we don't just need to be dead, we need transformed bodies. I've heard a story of a Sunday school teacher with a group of Sunday school kids. And she wanted to help them to realize that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. And so she asked them a series of questions. If I sell everything and give the money to the church, would that get me into heaven? And her Sunday school class, very well trained, shouted together, no. <laughs> so she asked, well, how about if I keep everything clean and in order around the church? Will that get me into heaven? And the Sunday school class, of course, shouted, no, that won't get me into heaven. So she said, what, what about if I, I love my family and I'm kind to animals and I give candy to Every child I meet, will that get me into heaven? And the Sunday school class shouted, no. So the Sunday school teacher said, well, what then will get me into heaven? And some kid at the back of the class, I have no doubt, a preacher's kid, shouted out, you have to be dead (laughs) to get into heaven. (laughs) Turns out, you don't just need to be dead. You need to be transformed to get into heaven. We need bodies that are fit for an eternity with Jesus Christ. Our feeble frames aren't fit for heaven, but in Christ, those living with those raised will be changed. That's the the second half from verse 51 to 53. It says, behold, it means look here, whatever's coming next is important for you to grasp. It's like a signboard pointing to something which is important. Paul is going to speak about a mystery, something which was previously hidden but has now been revealed to us, something which has been fully revealed to us. And the point that he makes is that not all who sleep, not every believer will die before Jesus Christ appears. Some will be living. Paul thought it seems from this text and from others, that he might even be living when Jesus Christ, he had a sense of imminence that the return of Jesus Christ could happen soon at any moment. He says, but we shall all be changed. This means to exchange one thing for another, to be transformed, the same but different. And this would happen in a moment. Uh, the word here for moment is atomo. It means, well, it's where we get the, the word atom from. It means something which cannot be divided into two. Indivisible. Unable to be cut into. A, a moment of time. He says a twinkling of an eye. Probably better, a, a blink of an eye. When Jesus returns... We will be changed suddenly, and we will be changed completely. We will not even be aware that it happened in that moment. Uh, One moment we will be here, mortal. The next moment we will be with Jesus, immortal. And then forever and ever. 
Someone has said that the average person blinks between 10,000 and 20,000 times a day. I haven't counted. (laughs) I I don't know how you would make that estimation. Um, But that's a lot of blinks. In one of those moments of time, one of the times that it takes for you to blink, you could be with Jesus forever and ever. Jesus could return. How do we go about applying our text to this point? Believer, prepare for the imminent, eternal, relational reunion with Jesus Christ. Are you expectant for the imminent beginning of your eternal life? Does it stir excitement in your soul? At the last trumpet, the the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Those who have died before us in Christ, as well as those who are living at the time in Christ, will put on a heavenly tuxedo (laughs) and cast away this decaying, dying body which is utterly unfit for heaven's glories to come. No more filthy rags. No more spiritual heaviness. We will be clothed in garments of salvation, wrapped with robes of Jesus Christ's righteousness, Adorned in garments of praise, forever clothed in linen, bright and clean. Transformation. Our feeble frames aren't fit for heaven, but in Christ, those living and those raised will be changed. And so believer, prepare for the imminent, eternal, relational reunion with Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior. Second point, triumph. Triumph. Let me tell you what the text is about, then we'll read it again and have it near to mind. Triumph. This transformation that I've just been speaking about fulfills prophecy of death's defeat made possible for us through Jesus. Let's read verse 54 to verse 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Firstly, the, the, this transformation fulfills prophecy of death's defeat. It says, when and then. Uh, this is the first, or this is a reference to the first and farthest reaching of all of Old Testament prophecies. It begins in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as God 
curses the serpent and says, one will come and crush your head. And this, promise, this prophecy is fulfilled in eternity future as death is swallowed up and is no more. Paul quotes two Old Testament prophets. The first comes from Isaiah 25, verse 8. Uh, as you go and you read that chapter, it's talking about the eternal state of bliss and a reversal of the curse of Genesis chapter um, uh, and the reversal of the curse to come. One commentator noted this. In Isaiah 25, death is not merely destroyed so that it cannot do further harm while all of the harm that it has wrought to God's children remains. It is like a tornado which is not merely checked so that no additional harm is done to homes which are wrecked, while those who are wrecked still lie in ruin. No. Death and all its apparent victories are undone in God's children. What now looks like victory for death and like defeat for us when our bodies die and decay shall be utterly reversed so that death dies in an absolute defeat and our bodies live again in absolute victory. The second quote is from Hosea chapter 13 verse 14. In this passage, Israel's sin was great and Israel's judgment would be severe, but God's ability and power to save from death so that death and the grave are mocked as defeated foes is even mightier. Paul is taunting mankind's last great enemy, death. The idea here is that death may have stung Jesus on the cross, but death's left its stinger in him. John MacArthur says on this verse that Christ bore the whole of death's sting in order that we would have to bear none of it. This transformation fulfills prophecy of death's defeat, but it is made possible through Jesus. That's the second half of this verse, verse 56 and verse 57. Death, sin, and the law. We fear death. We all fear death. We die because our sin separates us from God. We are convicted of sin because we fall short of the law. But here comes an alternative, an, an opposite possibility arising from a situation. God, who gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. God is mighty to save. Take heart, sinner. In your final battle with death, there will be victory. God will overcome. God will triumph. God will deliver. How? Through Jesus. Because Jesus kept the law perfectly and was not guilty of any sin. Because Jesus 
died as a substitute in our place that we might be reconciled to God. We no longer fear death because in Christ we are victors. His victory is our victory. He won so that we would win. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is our victor. Jesus is our conqueror. How do we apply just these few verses? Unbeliever, because I will not presume that in a crowd this large, everyone is saved. Whether you were dragged here by a husband or a wife, or whether you are a child sitting here under the authority of your parents, or whether you are an unbeliever and you know your state, this applies to you in this. How will you face death? In defeat or in Christ? Spurgeon writes that this is the sting of death to you, unconverted one. Not that you are dying, but that after death is the judgment. And you must stand before the judge of the quick and the dead, and receive a sentence for the sins that you have committed. Turn from fear. Turn to Jesus. He can save you from your self-righteousness, from your depravity. Friends, you will certainly die. The wages of your sin is death. And it is appointed for man to die once and thereafter face judgment. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are you at the point where you can declare, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Good. And you're at the point where you can hear, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you turn to Jesus? Would you hear the gospel message that he died for your sins? And that he rose from the grave in victory over death and of sin and of the wicked one. Would you hear this morning that the call upon your life is to repent for the forgiveness of sins and put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ that you would live. In his finished work upon the cross, turn to Jesus. Turn at once. Do so today. Do not delay. The text so far, transformation. Our feeble frames aren't fit for heaven, but in Christ, those living with those raised will be changed, followed by triumph. This transformation fulfills prophecy of death's defeat made possible for us through Jesus. Thirdly, testimony. Let me tell you what the Last verse is saying, and then we'll read it and have it close to mind. Therefore, based on everything that's happened up until now, therefore, 
in light of eternity and in the Lord, we must presently abound in good works. Let's read verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The text is therefore. Any time that you see a therefore, you've got to ask what is the therefore, therefore. It's because our eternity is imminent. It is around the corner. We'll be here in a blink of an eye because Jesus has won this victory and we are victorious in him. Live your life to God's praise and glory in the now. How do we apply this text? We must presently abound in good works. It it starts off in the second half of verse 50 with a B. This isn't a suggestion. This is an imperative. This is a command for those of you who are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, Three things. First, be steadfast. In In a world which is changing from one degree of godlessness to the next, Paul says to believers that they are to stand firm. Secondly, they to be immovable, not in traditions. This isn't implying that we all need to be Amish and adopt old-fashioned dress and old-fashioned music. This isn't religion on the outside. This is an immovability on that which is true, on that which is revealed, the deity of Christ. Salvation by grace, salvation through Christ alone. In the context of 1 Corinthians, the supremacy and priority of the gospel, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, monotheism, and the Holy Trinity. On truth, we shall not be moved. And friends, thirdly, we are to abound in good works. Scripture This is important for those of you who are presently in a backslidden condition. Scripture knows nothing of salvation apart from transformation. Salvation apart from sanctification. Salvation in God's word always looks like something. Good trees produce good fruit. Repent and turn back to Christ. Friends, this passage of Scripture talks about death, it talks about sting, but it does not leave us paralyzed with fear. This scripture talks about transformation. Our feeble frames aren't fit for heaven, but in Christ, those living with those raised will be changed. This scripture talks of triumph. This transformation fulfills prophecy of death's defeat made possible for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this passage talks of testimony. Therefore, in light of eternity and in the Lord, we must presently abound in good works to God's own praise and glory. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer.
Father God, in your word, death is described as the final enemy. Personified as something which man is fearful of. But Lord, in your word, we are introduced to Jesus Christ, the darling of heaven, our champion, who went forth and is victorious over death. The sting of death left in him, that the sting of death might have no effect over us. Lord God, for those of us who are in Christ, we are promised, whether dead or whether living, that we will be transformed and have reunion with him. We look forward to that with great excitement and joy and anticipation. Father God, your, your word talks of this triumph of Jesus over death, that it makes possible even the redemption of the worst of sinners, that your glory, your grace and mercy and love might be displayed in their salvation. Even now, Lord, I would ask that the scales would fall from sinners' eyes and they might see the beauty of Jesus Christ, their desperate need for him and place their faith and their trust in his finished work and his person. For indeed, you are mighty to save. Father God, this text, even before us today, says that in light of these things, we are to live out our lives to your praise and glory. It speaks of testimony of a church which is set on a hill whose, life can, uh, whose light cannot be hid. Might we indeed live out our lives as lamps, as salt of the earth, that you might receive much praise and glory in and through us. These things I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior. Amen.